Welcome to Dad Conversations, the podcast where we spotlight successful, interesting, and normal people who happen to be dads. Today we'll hear from Richard Yergin. Richard grew up in a rough area of South Florida. Following in his older brother's footsteps, he became a football star, eventually becoming ranked as a top linebacker defensive end prospect. Richard chose to play college football at Clemson University, best college out there, where he made numerous highlight plays during his first years on campus. The summer before his junior year, uh, right as his football life was peaking, he was projected to be a starter on a dominant team. He suffered a terrible car accident that, among other serious injuries, broke his neck. Richard battled through a two-year recovery, uh, going through rehab and physical therapy while helping his teammates as a student coach from the sidelines. He briefly retired from football and then after a surprising medical recovery, he chose to play his senior year of football at Boston College in the fall of 2019. As he contemplates starting his career in pro football or entering the corporate world, he has stayed active. He recently founded the RY3 Foundation, which is a nonprofit geared toward uh, geared towards assisting underprivileged youth in his home uh, region of South Florida. Richard has a beautiful fiance and is the dedicated father of an 18-month-old son. Richard's been described as an old soul, and I think that's a fitting description. He's one of the most thoughtful people I know. He definitely does not seem like a 23-year-old. I hope you enjoy the conversation as Richard opens up on a variety of topics. He's a good man. I want to thank Richard for eagerly accepting the invite to join an Upstart podcast and putting up with a rookie interviewer who fumbled multiple questions and gave the audience more ums and you knows than anyone would like to hear. Neither the quality of my interviewing skills nor the audio file is where I'd like it to be. Rather than waiting for perfection to somehow arrive without the necessary experience and investment, I'm forcing myself to publish this episode as the first of many. In entrepreneur speak, this is the minimum viable product for this new side project. It will only get better from here. I genuinely appreciate you listening. Please let me know what you think. If you have certain questions you'd like me to ask future guests or any other feedback, you can message me on LinkedIn or write a review on one of the podcast platforms and I'll find it. Thank you. Without further ado, let's hear from Richard. All right, we're live. Richard, thank you for joining the Dad Conversations podcast. Absolutely. Um, Richard, you are living a life that, in my opinion, will definitely become a book one day. And I feel like we're probably only three or four chapters in. And so most of the story is unwritten. But so far, I feel like you've already got a legitimate page turner. Um, so uh, quite an incredible life to this point. So hats off to you, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Um, one, I, I saw an article, you know, it seems like ESPN, most of their articles um, lately, the last couple of years have been a little shorter, but they wrote a <laughs> long form feature on you last fall and uh, your coach at Boston College, uh, football coach, he said, in my mind, I have visions of what I would love all football players to be, just like I have in yeah. my mind what I hope my children are exactly like. Richard Yergin has come in. And he's been exactly that. 
Um, mm. So first question, what was he talking about there with regards to what you've been coming in and doing? Right. So I'll be quite frank. Um, <clears throat> I molded right into Boston College the moment I got there. And reason being, it has nothing to do with, like, football or any of that. It really was, like, a group of guys who were very welcoming of me, being a you know competitor of theirs for so long. And the only way that that was possible was through my social intelligence and knowing that, you know, being in a new environment and coming in as a guy from Clemson, I want to be the complete opposite of what they think that is. Like, whatever anyone thinks that might mean, like I might be selfish or prima donna kind of a guy, none of that. You know, I just came right in, mind my business, went to work every day, you know, with a good mentality, uh, a great mindset. And guys in my, in my, in my position group, they took liking to me right away, you know, because I didn't say anything. I just said, Hey guys, you guys want to work a little bit extra with me? Come join me. And next thing you know, one person after another, uh, you know, my linebacker, I shout him out so much because, you know, he really, he really had my bag and his name's Max Richardson. And, um, you know, he took me right up under his wing the moment I got at BC. And uh, he was just like, man, like, we're going to grind every day. We're going to work every day. So we just built the chemistry that was just so genuine in the amount of, like, two or three weeks that I was there in June. You know, I'd already established those type of relationships and that type of trust and bond with my teammates. And uh, it just made everything so authentic. Um, again, like I said, it, it just made it real. Um, and from there, everything just seemed to blossom. Uh, the coaches were receptive and respond, like responding well, yeah, you yeah. know, to me being there and they were enjoying like what I brought to the table aside from just football, you know? And so to me, I was just being a big brother. I was just being the person that, you know, I would have wanted to be around in the locker room and like I was around at Clemson. So, you know, that's just kind of my, that was my mentality. Awesome. Well, Richard, let's uh, let's start with the origin story. Maybe get to know you a little bit. If you would, tell us, you know, where you grew up, what you were interested in as a kid, uh, what type of kid you were when you were in, you know, childhood years, what kind of kid you were as a teenager. Tell us a little bit about uh, mm-hmm. young Richard. Yeah, so young Richard, <laughs> born on October 14th, 1996. Um it was a blessing that I got here. Ironically, my older brother originally asked for another little brother or, you know, to, to have a little brother because I'm, I'm his only little brother. And so my parents, you know, being in their late 30s at the time, uh, and my father just turned 40, my mom was in 39. Uh, obviously, you aren't really thinking about kids uh, that late in the game most of the times. But, right. you know, given some given some thought and, uh, you know, some hard work, <laughs> so to speak, I, I was considered. And so I became a thing. And uh, 
on October 14, 1996. I think that day was special for my family because I kind of came into everybody's world and, like, rocked it. And, uh, you know, from the time I was a kid, um, I always wanted to be like my older brother, like, as simple as as way I can put it. My older brother was, like, my superhero. He was so cool. He had a fast 96 all-black Mustang. Um, (laughs) You know, he was... He was like the high school like legend kind of guy. Like he had all the friends over all the time. Like I mean, you name it. And so like I'm a kid. Like we're 12 years apart, by the way. So he's 18 at the time. I'm maybe six or seven. So I'm always going to his games. Always looking up to him. Listening to whatever music he listened to. Like just always wanting to be a friend of my brother. A friend of my brother. And uh, you know, at the time. Honestly, as a kid, I, I had no I had no clue, no direction on kind of like what I wanted to be exactly, but I just knew I loved talking to people. But I didn't like talking to people. So I was like an introverted, extrovert kid. Like I really want to stay to myself, but if I run across people that match my energy or like I kind of connect with, I kind of held on to those relationships. And so I would say that kind of helped me stay the course because I wasn't one of those kids who was, you know, always talkative or always like getting in trouble or anything like that. Like I was just kind of reserved into myself and, um, you know, for a lot of different reasons, but I, I, um, I guess around my teen years in junior high school, um, once I made the transition uh, over to the public school system, I kind of started to notice a difference because a lot of times until you go through something or have an experience, you don't really know how to feel. But I feel like, um, you know, coming from Broward County, Florida, and growing up on, quote, unquote, the wrong side of the track, and, uh, you know, always being perceived kind of a certain way, because of where you grew up or your family history or, you know, not to drag you on um, with pity or sorrow, but, you know, just things you go through. And so me as a young black male who's trying to thrive in life and trying to, you know, be the best that he could possibly be, of course, comes setback and distractions. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, my my teen year or preteen years, uh, starting with middle school, I would just say I was a little mischievous. And, you were, um, yeah. <laughs> the 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 introverted kid, um, you know, that no one could ever really calculate his moves or really try to figure him out. Um, had a good way of, you know, putting on a good act, but uh, realistically, I was struggling in school. Uh, and I, I think a lot of it stemmed around not knowing how to drown out certain distractions and being pulled in different directions at that time and at that age um, was a struggle for me. And when I say my grades were very bad, like they were very bad. <laughs> like I didn't go to class. I, I just didn't. I didn't really know to care because the environment that I was in just wasn't conducive to learning and like trying to grow as a human being in the right way. 
it was completely uh, destructive. And, uh, you know, it's just, to me, when I think back on it uh, and what's going on in the world now, it's kind of similar because it was near around the, the, the recession when I was in junior high school. And, you know, things are crazy. A lot of people didn't have money. And so much was going on in my family at the time. Like I said, uh, you know, my father was dealing with cancer, his second, first, no, his first for the first time. Um, second time was when I was in college. And, uh, you know, just seeing him go through that process and my mom lost her business at that time. And, you know, things were just tough and hard financially. So, you know, I've seen a lot at an earlier age that kind of had you thinking like, man, life is, life is rough. And, uh, you know, so that, that to me was another contributing factor towards mischievous behaviors. Um, and I, I would say the best thing that happened to me in my teen years was making the transition into a different environment. And by different environment, I mean an environment where I now was the minority amongst the majority. And I think the best thing my dad did for me was say, look, I got to get you from around your friends and get you in a whole different environment so that you can develop and grow because you have a unique skill set, which I knew. Uh, I had a, a teacher um, junior high school from what I vaguely remember. Um, she told me, you have the ability to be a writer. I mean, what you write is pure poetry. This is when I was in eighth grade. If you would come to class more often, if you would stop hanging out with your friends and stuff like that, you can you can be something. And I heard her, but I I kind of brushed it off. Like it wasn't cool to acknowledge that you're intelligent, articulate, and stuff like that. Right. So you know you focus more on the athletic side of things, and that's kind of what the mindset of why is there such a disconnect with the youth today. That's kind of where that stuff begins, you know? And so best thing my dad did for me was said, uh, put you in an environment where you're going to have to sink or swim. And that environment was private school. Uh, we couldn't afford it. We didn't have the money at the time. But obviously my football uh, skill set got me in the door. But what was going to keep me in the door was my academics. And so that's kind of you know, what pushed me to, like, really get better because my parents, I remember the first day my parents dropped me off, we're riding across the train tracks. And I'm just like, where are we going? And we're going to, you know, a predominantly white neighborhood. And, you know, it's just things are just completely different. And so for me, there were a lot of social barriers. Me being introverted already, now you're forcing me to be an extrovert because I can't survive in this environment if I don't, like, talk to people and like, you know, try to be receptive to the change in the environment. So, you know, when that happened for me, I, I think I was challenged, right? You know, from an academic standpoint, a life standpoint, as well as athletics. And so at that time, I, um, I really just trusted my parents' judgment that I needed a change of environment, and I, I was very quick not to reject what they were trying to do for me. 
which was create a change within me and, you know, ignite a fuel and uh, it worked. And so I never looked back. First semester, made my first 3.0. And then from there, 3.5, 4.0, 4.0, 4.0. And then by the time I graduated high school, I was All-American, top-rated player in the country, 4.5 GPA, top five uh, black male scholar athlete of the year through the Watkins Award, um, flew to D.C., you know, been to Texas, the U.S. Army All-American game, been out to the Nike headquarters, um, you know, with the Nike All-American camp, uh, you know, played on great 707 team, went to the national championship in 707 high school. Uh, and we lost the team to Tampa. And, uh, you know, just played with a lot of great guys over the course of my career. Um, and, and to me, none of that would have been possible without the change that was made in the ninth grade. You know, to lead me up to now, you know, the person that you see sitting in front of you on this camera is someone who's constantly trying to overcome generational curses and, you know, continue to be uh, a difference maker in society. And a lot of that stuff developed, you know, during those hard times and things that I faced, you know, at a young age and, and things that I did that I'm glad that God blessed me to, you know, overcome all of that and not let that overshadow, like, his light within me. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing all that and uh, appreciate you opening up there. I mean, that's an incredible story. Um, it, it's really surprised me uh, knowing adult Richard um, that you said you had a mischievous streak for a little bit because at first when you said as a young kid, you were, you know, playing by the role. I was like, yeah, I imagine, you know, it's like you never know when someone's a, a hellion as a kid, but um, you would be the last one right. that I would think would, would uh, have any of that. So, um, but, right. but yes, that's, um, uh, thankfully, uh, think of the wisdom of your dad to, to say, Hey, we're going to send you to a new school, get you out, you know, just a new environment to, um, like you said, create a, a change of pace and focus on, on what's important. I'm sure that wasn't an easy decision, but, um, you know, a tough decision where he knew what, you know, your, your parents, uh, know what's best. And, and then also you having the attitude and, and the respect to say, yeah, they, they know me and care about me. And, um, for whatever reason that they felt like that was a better opportunity. Um, that's cool, man. I tell you what, it saved me my life. Um, cause I don't talk about it a lot, but, you know, a real good friend of mine's growing up that, uh, you know, I kind of ran around with say two houses down from me, you know, ended up getting murdered two houses down from me. Um, I believe it might have been my freshman year of college, playing in the middle of camp. And so oh, man. I was just kind of like, are you serious? Like, so him and I kind of disconnected. Obviously, once I went to school on the other side of town, and, you know, I wasn't kind of running in that same crowd anymore. And so, uh, you know, it was tough because I never really got a chance to properly, you know, reconcile that relationship or you know, talk to him, but it definitely, definitely kept me on the right path. I'm like, man, God, God, yeah. looking out. God bless me. That's so, you know, it's tough. But for real. 
Yeah, nothing nothing uh, sucks quite like a young person dying. That's for sure. Um, it's my uh, my grandfather recently died, and that's the first time I had someone who I was close to that that passed away uh, as of old age. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really emotional and sad, but it's like, you know, he lived his life um, and he had an amazing life and legacy through his family. But um, prior to that, that was the first time I had an old person die. I was like, when young people die, it's, it's just um, you're distraught, you know, um, you're, you're robbed yeah. of, of life. So um, what what's that like? I mean, being I think adjusting to college as a cookie cutter college student is a big change, let alone being a football player where you've got a job working 50 hours a week playing football and every, you know, everything that goes into it and your buddy, you know, from grade school passes away, you know, freshman camp. Um, talk me through what, what it was like um, going to, going to college, playing college football, um, what your journey was, you know, first couple of years at Clemson. Yeah. So when I first got to Clemson, I wouldn't say that, I I was completely ready, you know, for college. And so um, the best way that I can put it without being too blunt is, yeah, you might be ready athletically in your mind and you might think that, oh, I got it all figured out. Like, I'm going to be here for three years and I'm going to be out of here. But the reality is you have to go through what's called the, the growing phase and growing pain. And so I think early on in college, I realized once I got there and I realized, wow, something is for real. Like they're not just recruiting average Joes, you know, like everyone here is a stud. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a quick reality check that, it was going to take some time to develop into, right. you know, what a Vic Beasley was at the time and what a Shaq Lawson was, you know what I mean? So, right. I mean, the best way I could put it is I paid my dues, um, you know, over the course of, you know, the, the two, three years. And um, I felt like my time was, was shortly coming. And um, the the – the one thing I would say is I was always on top of everything that I had to do as far as being a student athlete. Mm-hmm. And I felt like if I stayed committed to that model, that it would reward me. And um, it sure did. I mean, my time at Clemson, you know, on the field, off the field, was, I feel like, short-lived in a way. Like, I was thinking to myself the other day, wow. I've been in college for six years, but it feels like I just got to Clemson yesterday. And when I when, when you asked me to reminisce on like my first three years of college, it's like all I remember was there was a lot of football being played. There was a lot of hard days academically. There's a lot of long nights at parties, <laughs> and um, you know it's just. It's, it's just so many different angles. I mean, I was working every summer at my firm interning um, in Anderson, South Carolina, at Tremor Mills. Uh, I was lifting a lot of weights. I was reading a lot of books and studying. I was 
get my butt kicked in business, so I made it my minor. <laughs> and I went with communications as my major. I definitely had a hard time trying to figure out how am I going to sustain in college with all this pressure, you know, being at like a Clemson, like, you know, those kind of thoughts run through your mind. It's just like, man, like yeah. I, if I can, if I can do this, I can do anything. Like, this is pretty tough. But at the same time, like it was such a blessing and it was, it was easy for me because I had to balance so much of high school in their life. And so, you know, ultimately it was a sh- it was a shock at first, of course, like, whoa. And then I just adapted, adjusted and, you know, went about my business. Yeah. And um, as far as responding to the, the shock and adjustment of, of uh, going into college, I remember seeing you as a college football, you know, Clemson football fan uh, coming in, you know, as a, a backup number 49 coming in, making plays. I mean, you were uh, you had <laughs> several NFL players ahead of you, but you were still getting, mm-hmm. you know, earning playing time and, and uh and it's like you're on the the pipeline to the NFL, you know, where you've got right. almost everybody on the Clemson defensive line is going to go play, at least play a little bit in the NFL, if not get a great, right. you know, great contract. And you're, you know, it's, um, you're making killer plays as a freshman, sophomore, seeing seeing your name out there. And uh, and then so when when we're, you know, the seniors leave or, or get drafted early and, and it's like, OK, well, Richard's next man up. And he, you know, we've already seen what he's got. He's going to be a great starter. And uh, and then life changes a little bit for you. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, the crazy thing about that is sometimes when I think back on it, I think it helps slow down life for me as opposed to like it like mess life up or anything like I think of that day and when I say that day I mean the day of the accident at kind of like a an awakening or like a like a wake up call you know and I think a lot of you know what transpired was some was self-inflicting and you know a lot of it was just it's the turn of life. Like for me, you know, I've always been one of those kind of people to say, you know, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? But then it's not really bad things. It's just, it's really just things like good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people, vice versa. And it just makes you question your faith so much. And it makes you just wonder like, man, like, for a second, like, what did I do to deserve to deserve this? And then it's like, okay, well, how do I use this to get closer to you, God? Or how do I use this to help impact other people? Because it, now, now I got to think bigger. Like initially, it's like, what, why, how, you know? And then it's like, right. okay, I'm listening. Because you have to turn your mind off in situations like that and turn your ears on. And that's hard to do. And it took me some time. I'm not saying I'm overnight. Like, I got it. Like, it wasn't like that. But, you know, as you kind of go through mental therapy, physical therapy, and, you know, you kind of talk out some of your issues and you just kind of 
take yourself out of your own shoes and try to put yourself in someone else's shoes. It's like, man, I'm just so thankful to be here. Yeah. Like, last thing I want is a situation like that to, like, end my life or, you know, I, I, I can't walk or, you know, it's just things you start to think about that it's like, I took that for granted. Like, how? How did I take that for granted? And it's so easy to do because you wake up every day, you don't question whether your legs are going to be able to get you out of bed or whether right. your arms are going to reach over and turn your alarm off. Like, you just count on that. Like, you wake up, you don't even say, God, thank you for my arms, my legs, and my wiggle and my body. You just get up and you start moving. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. that's just, I mean, that's just how the normal human being, like, moves and thinks and, you know, so... For me, I had to kind of decompartmentalize all my thoughts and bring in positivity and like surround myself with the right things, the right people, because it would have been so hard if I didn't. If I would have chosen the path of resistance, I wouldn't be sitting here on this phone call. <laughs> so, no doubt. You know. And and I should have mentioned. Let me back up uh, for anyone who's not familiar with your story and and mention that um, one I, was it 2017. Um, 2017. In, the, in yeah. the you know several months before the football season, maybe spring or summer, you're driving on the interstate. Um, weather gets yeah. bad. Car accident. Um, bad car accident. Broken neck. Cars all messed up. You're in the hospital for long extended time. Um, unable, certainly unable to play football, let alone, you know, some of the basics like you talk about playing, you know, walking around and, and uh, reaching over to get the alarm clock um, out of football for that year. Uh, a lot of re uh, recovery and then, um, you know, future kind of up in the air a little bit. Right. Uh, as far as what what do you do? Um, but, yeah, that's um, I appreciate you being open about the, the experience there um, and some of the feelings that you have. Um, I can relate to that. My dad broke his neck uh, surfing a few years yeah, back. Yeah, you told uh, me about that. You told yeah. me about that. Hey, and it's it's just great. He was, uh, I mean, he'd won like some, you know, low level surfing competitions. He's a lifelong surfer. Just a freak accident happened, and uh, and now he's like right. can't really walk without a unless he has a, a cane or a little walker. Um, it's no joke. Yeah, it's like not, it's really not a game. But it's but the uh, not a game. The attitude that that he uh, after a extended period of um, mourning and and you know depression, uh, he eventually has come around to being grateful for a lot of the little things. You know, like you talked about. Um, how how would you say that 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 experience has been a positive for you when you look at the long run of of uh, your life? Well, I look at life two ways. We can either be a part of the problem or be a part of the solution. And when I think about that, it's like there are so many people out here who are hurting, who would love to just be in your situation and say they went to Clemson and, you know, all this stuff. And you've been able to accomplish that and do that at a very high level. And unfortunately, whether you make it to the NFL or you don't in life, you still have to carry on. And so for me, I was just like, I have way too much impact to make to sit here and feel sorry for myself for too long. I mean, I'll give myself some time to 
deal with the ups and downs that come with this, but eventually I have to use this momentum that I have to make an impact somehow. And, uh, you know, that's been my, my driving focus is like everything I do is adding more to my story, more fuel to the fire. You know, that's just kind of something that ignites in my brain over and over again. It's like, I got to continue to do more, do more, do more, overcompensate, do more. So once you, you have the accident, you have recovery, you go through a, you know, the process of um, changing your mindset a little bit. What is the um, sort of second half or, or final, you know, chapter of your time at Clemson look like? Um, what what are you up to? What um, what was uh, what was rehab like? What and then uh, you know physical sorry not rehab physical rehab and you know rehabbing your uh, your body and going to therapy. Um, and then what was uh, tell us about the you know transfer to Boston College. And then, um, you know, what you've been up to lately since uh, since wrapping up at Boston College. Yeah, so um, the final years at Clemson was bittersweet. Uh, obviously, I would love to be out there on the field. But like I said, I had to focus on where I can make an impact. And that was helping develop our project program, uh, you know, and developing our young guys that were coming up in the rankings to be next defensive ends. And I felt like in those roles, displaying true servant leadership, you know, helping with developing relationships with corporate partners and leveraging the Clemson network and building Paul Journey up, um, as well as helping young guys develop in the playbook and, you know, perform on the field and tell them, you know, what I see versus what they see and trying to help correct some things, um, along with working with, you know, guys like Austin, Clee, Dexter, and uh, Christian, um, you know, definitely helped elevate my game uh, mentally throughout that time span. And so I focused on that as well as getting my master's in athletic leadership. And as we know, I was on a job hunt a year ago, um, interviewing with you guys in yep. Cisco, and uh, made it all the way to the end of CSAP, and I didn't get it, and I was crushed. And I picked myself back up. And I went back out on the job plan again, and then I landed GE. And, you know, at that time, I'm feeling like, okay, like, I guess football is over. You know, I'm just going to kind of transition into the real world. And yeah. so at that time, I go for a normal checkup. I normally go to the doctor down here for a lot of them. And he tells me, you know, you've done well through rehab and, you know, physical therapy, and, you know, I think you can give it another go. And that wasn't something that I was expecting because rehab was so brutal. I mean, I couldn't walk, do anything for months after surgery, and even after the first time I broke my neck initially. But couldn't drive, uh, you know, it was painful days, a lot of pain pills, uh, unfortunately, and it just drives you crazy. And, um, you know, I don't even think I could go out to the bar or do anything or I just move like just, just to get out of the house. You know, it was just strictly confined like to the bed in the room, watch watch the TV, read a bunch of books, which is great, but I want, I'm an active guy. I want to be mobile. You know, I don't want to be, you know, stable 
or you know, I don't want to like I don't want to be positioned to have to be in a bed, you know, like a crippled mindset, you know, mm-hmm. mental paralysis, something that I just can't wrap my mind around. Um, and so it can definitely do some things to you mentally, but mental is the physical as far as the one. And for me, you know, I, I always try to exercise my mind. Um, cause a lot of times, a lot of people don't practice exercising their mind and I How always do you do that? reach out. Well, I was just about to say, I always reach out to mentors. Um, for me, I'm very big on dialogue and conversation. So whatever I read, I like to discuss. I love having open discussions. I love podcasts. I love short journals. I love little, little quick reads that spark a conversation. And those were easy gateway opportunities into having conversations with people of influence and power and, you know, myself having some influence and some power and, you know, being able to talk the talk and essentially walk the walk. Um, you know, a lot of times mentors give mentees advice and they don't take it. And I was one of those that always was able to take a little nugget from somebody um, and implement it. And they wanted to invest more and more time. And I said, cool, let's keep doing it. You know, throughout that time frame where things were kind of, you know, iffy for me. And uh, it definitely shaped me into a more holistic, you know, driven from every angle type of person. And, uh, I mean, it, it, it definitely, I mean, to this day now, um, when I think about it, where I'm at now versus where I could be, could be different had I not made the decision to play again. And I think playing again gave me so much leverage in the sports world again. I think it opened up a lot of doors, um, definitely gave me the attention and the publicity that I feel like I well right earned through my struggle and through my just story. And uh, now it's put me in a position where, you know, I don't want to speak on it too, too much, but I've, you know, always been one to want to give back, especially through my experience at Boston College. It was nothing but them giving to me. And, uh, you know, the mantra there is, you know, men and women for others, service, you know, and one of the things that BC that a lot of people don't know is, you know, the red bandana game is so awesome. Like, I just, the history behind it, you look it up, uh, 9-11, Wells Crowder, and, you know, the ultimate sacrifice that he made for fellow men and women to save them, you know, from burning buildings that day. You can just tell that university is filled with, like, passion and love for, you know, just everybody, just kind of like how Clemson is, just a little different. Um, but ultimately, you know, I, I felt that the moment I stepped on campus. And like I said, through my experiences with my teammates and the ups and downs on the field, through the wins and the losses, you know, through the big plays that I was able to make, even to the times where I, I probably got my butt kicked. You know, it was a great experience at BC to be able to tie back in everything that I had done in the past at Clemson 
everything that I went through during the time period where I was away from football and then being able to come back to something that, you know, almost seemed impossible. Um, it was just such a, such a joy. And uh, that's what really has led me into the nonprofit space. Um, and I have established the Richard Jurgen the third foundation incorporated and uh, got a wonderful plan in place to assist with the need here in Broward County for technology. And uh, obviously that's something you and I are also going to talk about um, a little bit later, but just an awesome thing, you know, just getting started really over the past two months, been able to put together a good board, um, you know, been able to create some strategic partnerships with corporate companies and uh, been able to leverage two networks that I've created for myself. And um, I believe it's going to do some really, really good things for the community here, particularly in the underserved, under-resourced, underfunded area where I'm from, um, here in Broward, yeah. and incorporate some of the schools and, you know, some of the people that have given back to me and uh, ultimately sharing my story and uh, being willing to share my glory uh, is going to help rectify a lot of things that, you know, need to be solved socially um, and, and economically around here in the black community. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I love how you, as someone who isn't a multimillionaire with all the time in the world to go solve problems like you're uh, a young talented guy who has a lot of dreams and initiatives and you're going to make a fantastic career in whatever you choose to do but you don't have all that figured out right now and you're still starting a nonprofit. like you see the need and want to jump in and start helping right now uh, which is incredible and and hats off to you you have my respect man um and i just think that's so cool um so before we um go in into um the foundation want to uh last last question i have for you um before we shift off of the college football so you were fortunate you went to two great schools um great institutions um when you think of um college football in general or someone who's approaching college football there's a lot of advice out there that that um young men receive or is there any um advice that you hear that's maybe frequently shared that you would disagree with when it comes to uh the industry of college football i wouldn't necessarily say there's things that i don't agree with i would just say there are things that I wouldn't even say like for me, I think it's hard to tell a guy nowadays if we just want to keep it real. Don't accept money or payments when you go off to school or, you know, don't, um, don't try to do too much academically because it can be a hindrance to you on the field. You know, like certain stuff you'll hear out there, Realistically, what I would tell a kid is if you're made of the right stuff and you choose the right university that aligns with you and who you are, you have a great experience. That's number one. Number two is is you have to stay true to who you are before you went to college because if you try to reinvent the wheel and become something you're not in college, it's definitely going to distract you. And 
the worst thing that you can do is abandon what got you to college. Whatever got you there will keep you there. Whether you ran fast, whether you're strong, whatever your strong suit was on the field is what will keep you there. But what will make sure that you're remembered there is getting that degree. And that's what a lot of people get twisted. Your skill set keeps you annually on scholarship every year because the scholarship is renewed every year. It's not you're not guaranteed four or five years. Like Coach Sweeney's just a blessing to America that he thinks that way and he <laughs> provides for us like that. But every school isn't like that. So I'm just gonna tell the truth. You gotta perform and maintain and maintain your grades. That's not even negotiable, you know? So to me, it's all about choosing what university fits you. Luckily, I picked two perfect universities, Clemson University and Boston College, dropping the mic. Three degrees. (laughs) Three degrees, that's right, man. The economy's jacked up right now, but I'm innovative, and I know way too many people in the tech industry, so I definitely know in my own mind's eye like, I'm glad I've invested in my education and I know what's going on. Yep. Other than just football. Yeah. Um, so Richard, what are your, what are your hobbies, man? When you're not, when you're not in school, you're not working, what do you like to do for fun? Uh, I'm honestly, I'm a weirdo. So I like, I like to listen to old school music and, just really sit there and reflect on life and read or write or just anything cerebral. Like I'm just really big into like connecting with like a higher being spiritually and just being aware of myself. Like I love to take time to just spend with myself. And a lot of people are like, That's, like weird you say that, but it's something that we all have to do is look inward so that what we project outward, we know what it is and we understand what it is that we're projecting. A lot of times we don't look into our blind spots. Like I'm always checking my blinders. Like that's honestly what I love to do in my free time. It's weird, but I always think about how can I begin better? The best ways to get better, the great ones, they read, they write a lot, and they listen. Like I love to sit back and have conversations like this and, and just listen and grow my knowledge. Like if that's crazy i'm sorry but i'm just no that's cool i'm just kind of wired that way that's the nice thing about being an adult when you're you're not a teenager anymore where it's like i don't want to say this because it doesn't sound cool it's like you know what i know this is it's what i like to do it's good for me i feel better when i do it i'm gonna do it you know yeah (laughs) it's nice to know i mean you have to you have to i mean if if i told you that i was a father and and a fiance and my my favorite pastime was to go to the bar all the time (laughs) (laughs) you know especially at a time like this where bars are non-negotiable like why are you going out wear your mask and stay home you know so it's just kind of you find out a lot about yourself yeah um all right well here's a question for you in the last five years what new belief behavior or habit has most improved your life? Yeah. So I think, uh, I think for me, uh, my brother and I were big into cigars 
And I think about four or five years ago, I had my first cigar after national championship win. And just the feeling of, of, of a cigar after having success, you know, with, with preferably a nice glass of scotch or something, and then maybe some golf, man, it's, it's a life-changing experience, let me just tell you. So <laughs> I think uh, for me, those three things into one has changed my life completely and how I think about business and how I structure my, my time. I mean, granted, being now since I have a little one, it's harder to have my time. So I say my time, but whenever I can have my time, you know. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, I mean, just just being a dad, man, and, 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 and understanding that whenever I do get to have my time, that's ideally what I'd like to be doing with friends and with people who, you know, think on a different level and, talk business and stuff like that. Like those, those are game changers. Cool. Um, and what would you say is one of the best or most worthwhile investments that you've ever made? And that could be an investment of money or time or energy, but, um, best or most worthwhile investment that comes to mind. Yeah. So the first time I, uh, I ever purchased a stock, I had no idea what I was doing. And I think the best worst thing I did was I purchased Cisco stock at a great time. Are you serious? And I panicked. Yeah, I pa- I panicked when the market started to kind of slow down Yeah, and I sold it. Oh man, you got a hold. Uh, you know, and a good friend of mine told me you might want to invest heavy in the tech world, especially IT and healthcare. I was like, ah, screw that. I'm going to invest in Airmark, <laughs> and 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 I screwed the pooch on that one. So, um, whatever that could have been, that that was that was. Yeah. All right. What what's a good investment you've made? Maybe a, uh, when you think back, if if not, um, if it, nothing financial comes to mind, any uh, maybe a favorite investment of time or uh, energy into something. I would say the best investment of energy definitely had to be into my son, and the best investment I made. And I would say initially it wasn't what I would consider your typical investment where you say, this is what I want to do. And th-, you know what I mean? But yeah, situations occur and regardless or not, the biggest investment you can make into the world is, is becoming a dad. I don't think there's anything better than that. And, um, it definitely changed and helped grow my perspective because I had to gain patience for once in life. And it wasn't just all about me. But yeah. it was bigger than me. And so, you know, when you break it down to the basics, we're all just living until we have something to live for. Uh, and now we're really alive. And, uh, you know, everything that I'm doing through my foundation, through my life, has been filtered. Like, he's always at the forefront of my thought process. 
Mm-hmm. Like, how is this going to impact my son long term? Like, how is this going to impact the family? I am the, are the moves that I'm making, is there an opportunity to set him up for success? Yeah, so yeah. It's just different. It's just completely different. One thing I liked from that ESPN article when they did that feature on you was um, they quoted you as saying, everything I do now is a direct reflection of how I want him to live his life. I can't yeah. not practice what I preach, so I have to live my life in a way to justify the lessons I'm teaching him. I thought that was cool. <laughs> yeah, that's no, that was deep, and 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 you and you know you know for me, that was all off the cuff. I didn't practice that, just so you know. Even more impressive. You're a lot more eloquent than I am. I would have thrown in thrown in a couple extra dude mans. <laughs> <laughs> So on that, what would you say uh, when you look at yourself as a parent? What's one thing where you're like, you know what? I'm nailing that as a parent. There's a lot of things. No, I don't think anyone feels like they're – no one may feel like they're the perfect father, but um, what's one thing where you're like, I'm nailing that as a parent? I'm I'm great at the delivery and exchange of pickup and drop-off at daycare. Like, no no one's seeing me at all, like. I'm on time. I'm there. Um, I'm engaged. I know what he ate. I know I know how his day was. I do random pop ups at school for playtime. Like I'm all over that. No one's no <laughs> one's driving faster than me. No one's no one's no one's doing more checkups than me. Like no one no one's doing it. I'm, I'm doing it. I'm nailing that. Nice. And uh, just for for anyone who's uh, unfamiliar, how old is uh, you have a son? How old is he? Elijah is actually a year and a half. Year and a half. Year and a half next week. Year and a half. Eighteen awesome. months. A lot of change going on at that time. I mean, they're always changing kids in general, but but at that point, every every month is big big changes. Tell me about it. His diet is increasing, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I I'll tell you that. I mean, my oldest is ten, and I'm uh, the last year or so. I'm like, this kid is just housing food all over. You cannot stock the pantry, yeah. keep it full. I'm like, what am I gonna do when him and his younger brothers and sisters are all teenagers? Like, I'm I gotta make sure I'm making some money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's gonna be serious. Um, hey, what so? Parent, uh, you've been a dad for a year and a half. There's a, a lot of uh, advice that people give um, to young parents. What is some a piece of advice that you disagree with? I think I disagree with the fact that everyone's child is is how do I every how everyone raises their child is is different. Like everyone's child is like basically different, and how I view it is. Like, that is true, but to a certain extent, there also is some guidelines for, like, things that you should be aware of and that everybody should do, like, specifically for their child. Now, whether you're able to do it or not, that's a different story. But for me, like I said, I'm pa- I try to be very patient with my son. Like, I don't, I don't believe in, like, whoopings and, you know, like, physical, like, abuse. But... You know, my my other point to that is you can simply talk to a child or you can be in a situation where it gets heated 
and you walk away because he's still just a child. Like, they don't fully grasp life yet. And so a lot of people, you know, that's a touchy subject. And for me, I just say I think any type of abuse, especially to a child, is just, especially at a time like this where you got to think domestic violence and child abuse rates are through the roof. And a lot of people, like I said, don't want to address it, don't want to talk about it. But to me, that's important. And that's why these kids need love. They need understanding. They need people who are willing to be patient with them. But a lot of kids um, just aren't receiving that right now. It's sad to know that. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Let's see. What is something you are looking forward to in the next 12 months? I think in the next 12 months, I'm looking forward to either getting closer with football in the NFL or that door just closing. And to me, it's hard to talk about it because I'm going through it right now, but I will just be very transparent. I think chasing football my whole life and making everything centered around football has been such a hard task to juggle because I still have so much life in me outside of football, and I understand that. That yeah. is to the point where I've I've gotten my peace with football, trust me. Like, I my time at Boston was well worth every ounce of blood, sweat, and tears. And if I, if I do or if I don't play another down, you know, whether that be in the NFL or CFL, I'm going to have to live with it. And I think COVID has taught me that our plans don't go according to the way we want them. But when God reveals things to us naturally, just trust him and just believe them. And so I think I'm looking forward to that over the next year or, you know, 12 months of, of what that looks like. Yeah, I'm I'm not worried about you a bit, man, knowing you um, for over two years now. Um, I, wow, has I, it been that long? Yeah, it's crazy. It's it flown by. I remember uh, interviewing you for the first time. I was like, man. Yeah. This is, this is Richard Jurgen. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you seemed um, fully prepared for pursuing a traditional career as if you were a – a student who had no no shot of, of the NFL and who was just solely looking for traditional jobs. I mean, you're you're really right. thoughtful. You're skilled at networking, interested in a ton of different fields. And um, I would have, you know, obviously I knew you were on the, the football team, but um, was that something that you, like before the accident, was it like, hey, I'm – headed to i've got the talent and the ability to go to nfl i'm you know this could be a chance to cash in 10 years of of work i'm going to go heads down just focused on nfl or were you like always thinking hey eventually i'm going to have to get out of football let me you know start making connections now uh, as i go or is that something you kind of picked up after the accident day one i knew um the moment i stepped my foot at college I knew life as I knew it had to be more serious than ever. It really, the level of attention and detail had to go up. And for me, I was always aware of my space because I was always aware of myself. And 
when I got there, I immediately started finding the right people and networking, like without even realizing what I was actually doing until I went to a networking event. I was like, oh, this is what networking is? Yeah. I've been doing that. Like, I've been boat racing and stuff. Like, <laughs> this is what this is. And so I guess, like, to me, I I enjoy always taking the holistic approach to the, my, my development and not limiting myself to just football. Because if I'd have done that, I would, again, I wouldn't be on this phone call. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, to me, like, I really, like, stressed that since day one, like, with internships and with Jeff Davis and crafting out what Paul Journey was going to eventually look like. Like, I was an advocate for that from day one. I didn't yeah. I didn't flinch about that. Definitely. It, it shows. Um, so, let's see. One one more question before shifting gears. Um, what would – and uh, so just a general question, what are you, uh, so COVID, you know, what are you streaming these days? Any, any good shows or podcasts? What do you, what do you turn to for uh, entertainment? Yeah. So, I mean, oh, <clears throat> dropped my phone there. So I, uh, I've actually, how do I put it? I've been watching a lot of Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp. And I think it's hilarious. It gets my morning going. Like, I just love, I just, I love that. Like, I don't know, I don't know if I'm the only one, but I love, I love, I love getting my day started with that. And I like to work my way into some Netflix here and there. But, I mean, it's, it's hit or miss sometimes with Netflix. So, I really just listen to a lot of podcasts as it relates to sports and what's going on and, Try to stay away from the news, but I'm also watching the news too. Um, right, to right. stay stay up to date with what's going on with current events and stuff. Any any particular podcast you want to plug or recommend to the audience? Uh, well, I am going to recommend mine once I get it going um, in a couple of weeks. So stay tuned. Heck yeah, uh, what's I it going to be Myself first. Still coming up with everything. It's premature. It's, okay. it's not it's not concrete yet so i'll, just like, I'll shout just it out like once it. you get it up when you get it yeah. when you get ready for all all six of people for listening sure. to this on my show for sure <laughs> for sure for sure for sure but i i definitely like i said i want to i want to shout out um i'm more than an athlete brandon marshall his podcast this it's, it's amazing i, I enjoy the content that he puts on display. Um, and I've also, you know, I I, I kind of like to listen to the Jim Rome show ever since he brought me on. And I think, I think his, his deal is, is, is really good. Cool. Um, okay. So what is a, you've been involved in, I know as a, as a Clemson fan, I'm familiar with uh, how the team will, be involved in a lot of um, charitable work throughout the year. Um, and I imagine Boston College, based on what you've explained, I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot of good uh, good causes and initiatives that you're involved with there. Uh, and then certainly down in Florida, you have your own. Um, before we we uh, go shift back to the Richard Yergin III Foundation, um, tell me, what is a good cause that you wish more people knew about? The homework gap, and 
that to me is so big. There's about roughly speaking ten to fifteen thousand students who lost connection with school over the past over the recent months. And that not only sets kids back academically that were trying to go to college in general, but athletes too. And the sad thing about that is, you know, no one planned for COVID. No one no one knew all of this was going to happen. But in the midst of, you know, everything going on from George Floyd on to, you know, many other countless deaths that were just wrong, you have the youth suffering behind this. And it's just, it's sad to see. Um, especially knowing the struggles and the challenges that they're faced with every day. And and what um, what does that uh, cause tend to take on? It's called the homework gap. So they're yeah the homework the homework gap is becoming a new study amongst a lot of um, a lot of schools that are noticing the lack of enrollment due to the homework gap there's a lot of kids who may not have particularly taken the sat or act on time um, they may not have been able to finish up all their classes you know there, there's a lot of reasoning behind the consider homework gap um and and, and, the, and to go even deeper um you know looking back at how COVID has reshaped everything and has put everybody in a situation where you know, they're home, you know, in an environment where typically they wouldn't be um, mother, father. Like I said, you have a rise in, um, you know, abuse cases. And, you know, I just think police brutality is very important, but, you know, child abuse is another thing um, mm-hmm. that definitely, as I mentioned and alluded to earlier, people need to definitely consider that as something that we need to fix. Right. And so tell me a little more about your, your foundation before we wrap up. Um, what, what is it? Where, how did the idea come about? What was your, um, original focus? Um, if you've shifted gears at all, what, what, uh, what that may look like and what you have planned for the future. And, um, if anyone is interested in, you know, anyone who's listening, um, what, how they can maybe help out or, uh, learn more about it. Sure. So, you know, I, the idea was just roughly a thought two months ago. Um, former teammate of mine and a really good friend, Patrick Godfrey, my vice president, came to me, you know, as a white male, um, but also a really good friend of mine and said, Richard, I'm bothered, you know, by what's taking place. You need to do something. You need to fix it. I'm just like, whoa, 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 buddy. I'm not Martin Luther King here, (laughs) but but he thought very highly of me. And I have a lot of colleagues that think that way of me. And I said, you know what? Silence isn't an option in this situation. And, you know, it's easy to just send out a tweet or stick up a black fist emoji on Instagram, but that's not really showing support. And that's not really like giving back to me. That's just, the best way I could put it. That's cool. You bought awareness, but what are you going to actually do? And, you know, as I begin to formulate a plan over the next 24 hours or 48 hours after that initial conversation of you need to do something with my business partner, 
it became, okay, so maybe we should start off with scholarships and a mentor when a high school senior graduates. But we realized the problem stems back to the younger age, like third grade and up, just kind of where that gap starts to be created as far as the learning and, you know, this curve, that curve, and slow track, fast track. And so, you know, if we can grasp a hold of the younger generation and pour into them, you know, um, great distribution model down here for our technology, for instance, 5,000 role models started by Congresswoman down here. Um, you know, it's been represented by a bunch of former presidents, a bunch of high-powered people. And uh, to be associated with them as a partner um, in distributing technology to the under-resourced, underfunded kids that are at risk of dropping out and preventing that from happening by providing them technology, I think is great because these kids are getting great mentorship, they're getting great leadership, and to be able to provide them with some more resources, I'm more than willing to do that because to me it's, it's everything to share my blessings with others, um, especially at a time like this, regardless of color, race. You know, I think everybody um, can remove the mask, literally, and, you know, just look each other in the eye and say, I got your back, brother. And it don't even got to be a black or a white thing, just as a brother in Christ or a sister right, in Christ. Right. And so, you know, anyone that wants to help, um, you know, the website is coming soon. Um, I'll definitely get that out to Sean and have him get it out to everyone. But, you know, if you follow my Instagram page, RY, Roman numeral three, Foundation Incorporated, there's a bunch of information and some things that I've been able to do um, for the community as of lately as it relates to mentorship and the kids and outreach and, you know, things that building towards the ultimate. Obviously, I would love gifts, anything that anyone feels so free to share, you know, whether that be time or finances, um, also welcome. So I appreciate the opportunity, Sean, to speak on that. Yeah, no problem, man. I appreciate you you coming to talk and and just uh, you're living you're in you know the early chapters of an incredible life uh, already off to a great start. Appreciate you providing insights into that for um, for everyone who hasn't gone through any of those experiences. You know, it's um, fascinating. I'm excited to see what you continue to do. Uh, bright future ahead. Definitely let us know as as um, the podcast gets out, as you continue with the RY3 Foundation. Uh, let us know. We'll certainly uh, shout that out and see if uh, maybe two or three people are listening. Maybe they'll check it out. <laughs> anyway, thanks again, man. Uh, appreciate you coming Thank you, on. Bro.